Warning, this show may contain adult content, language, and humor, and is intended for mature audiences. If that's not you, please stop listening now. Nothing you hear on Sex and Science Hour is intended as medical advice, financial advice, legal advice, therapy, or really anything other than entertainment. Please take everything you hear with a grain of salt. Oh, and if you're hearing us on an affiliate network, the ideas and views expressed on this show are not necessarily those of the network you're listening on or of any sponsors or affiliate products you might hear about on the show. Now that all that's out of the way, let's start the show. This is Sex and Science Hour with Brian Sovereign and Dr. Stephanie Murphy. Get your freak on. Because there's nothing like a slam burger and a pancake to get you going on a Friday night. Pancakes. (laughs) Welcome to Sex and Science Hour, fueled by Denny's pancakes and slam burgers. I at least tried to stay relatively low carb. Brian, you did I, not even attempt. I didn't but even that's okay. bother this time. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes it's all right to, you know, to carb out and have, just a, let it rip. have a nice, yeah, just let it all hang out on a Friday night, which is what we do here on this show. <laughs> You're listening to Sex and Science Hour, of course. Our website is sexandsciencehour.com. We love it when you join us every Friday night for our show where we talk about, surprise, surprise, sex and science topics. Woo. But sometimes we also talk about just crazy news of the weird, you know, to open up the show. And I got one that's news of the weird for you. Um, now, Brian, perhaps this highlights that some of the difference between Eastern and Western cultures. I don't know. I don't like to make sweeping generalizations like that. But right. listen to this story. I was, my jaw dropped when I heard this. A teenager in Japan is suing her school for forcing her to dye her natural brown hair black. Wait, what color is her hair naturally? Naturally brown. Light brown. Wow, okay. Having lighter hair, it says, can be an offense in Japanese schools. This is from QZ.com, by the way. Okay. A student in Osaka Prefecture is suing her high school for 2.2 million yen, which is about $20,000 in damages, after she was forced to dye her hair black in 2015, according to local media reports. The student, 18, said that in addition to mental suffering, the dye caused physical harm to her scalp and hair. The first arguments were heard in court in Osaka today, which is October 27th, today, Friday, hot off the presses. The student was allegedly forbidden to attend class last year when her hair wasn't black enough and was later prevented from going on a school trip. Her name was removed from the school register. She has not attended school since late 2016. The school reportedly told the girl's lawyer that, quote, even a blonde-haired foreign exchange student would have had to dye their hair black. (laughs) Somehow I doubt that. Yeah. The Osaka Prefectural Education Ministry told the newspaper that it could not provide a comment pending further details from the court case. In addition to school uniforms, many schools in Japan impose strict rules on personal appearance, including ones against hair dyeing. According to a list of regulations at a high school in Fukui Prefecture, posted by an English teacher there, girls may not wear scrunchies or jewelry of any kind. Another teacher said that some junior high sc- at some junior high schools, girls are not allowed to pluck their eyebrows. 
The New York Times documented that the tea-colored hair craze in the mid-90s when hair dyeing started to take off in Japan, for some, the trend was an unwelcome statement of rebelliousness, with private and public employers shying away from job, job candidates without black hair. Some assert, assert that the stigma against, quote, un-Japanese characteristics is not only discriminatory, but is all increasingly out of sync with Japan's demographic makeup, which is slowly becoming more diverse as the children of immigrants, such as Brazilian Japanese, grow up in the country. According to a newspaper in Japan, some schools in Osaka Prefecture have introduced a light-colored hair registration system so that those who are born with lighter hair are not wrongfully reprimanded. In Tokyo, some schools require a certification of original hair color, though the Municipal Education Board said that the submission of such personal information is voluntary. A survey conducted by the newspaper earlier this year found that almost 60% of schools in Tokyo require students to prove that their light-colored hair is natural, for example, through childhood photos. Okay, so... <laughs> Do you think this is for real? Like, I'm just reading this. I'm like, oh, is yeah. this for real? Oh, yeah. I mean, but... How right. conformist could you possibly get? All what right. is this all about? Tell me. Okay. okay. Okay, so a couple of... A few points on this. All right. Uh, one is... Is that... You know, you raised an interesting point about the difference between East and West. I think that's a false dichotomy. Uh, but a dichotomy that I am interested in uh, is that how did cultures evolve that ate rice compared to cultures that evolved eating wheat? And I think you have two very different mindsets when it comes to that. One is more individualistic because you could grow it yourself. The other is perhaps more communal because it requires a village. But who can grow weed on their own? I don't know if I buy that. But well, I just with, think this is this is insane how conformist this is. To dye your hair to match everybody else, everybody has to have the same hair color? Are you kidding me? Come on, how about some variation here? Like, wow. Yeah, no, it's it's nuts, but it's Japan. I mean, and they're still getting, they're, they're getting over a lot of their conservative attitudes. I mean, we're talking about the country where you have to pixelate a dick. You know, not that I need to see a dick, but... Or anybody really needs to see one. But you get my point. But you should have the option, right? God you should have the option to see a dick <laughs> or to have non-black hair. We'll be right back. This is Sex and Science Hour. Here on Sex and Science Hour, we hate to do our own social media. Brian pretty much has given up on social media. Well, not given up. He begrudgingly uses it, but he Very hates it. Very begrudging. I've pretty much given up on it. I've thought about making a Facebook page for Sex and Science Hour, but I'm like, well, what's the point? We already have a Facebook group, which is very active and allows people to interact with each other. So if you want to jump on that, just find uh, the Sex and Science Hour podcast community on Facebook, and you can totally join as long as you answer a simple question about who the hosts of the show are to prove you're not a spammer. But I would like to make a request, and that is tell one friend about the show who you think would like it. That way, we don't have to do as much social media. Thank you kindly. Now back to the show. You like that, Brian? That was I'm deputizing good. our social media for us. I'm making an executive decision <laughs> to, to get other people to do the work that we don't like to do. Now, I'm not afraid of social media. I just don't like it. But one thing that everybody seems to be afraid of is creepy crawlies. Things that go, things that wiggle and things that squirm and things that go ooh, all over your skin. Yes. <laughs> um... This is a really interesting study that we actually found out about on the Facebook group. So thanks to uh, Cognitive Dissident who sent it in. Um, even babies are afraid of snakes and spiders, ah. showing that the fear of snakes and spiders is not just a kind of a universal adult thing, but it's actually it actually seems to be inborn. 
So this is called Itsy Bitsy Spider. Fear of spiders and snakes is deeply embedded in us from uh, a German, actually from the Max Planck Institute for uh, Cognitive and Brain Sciences. Snakes and spiders evoke fear and disgust in many people. Even in developed countries, lots of people are frightened of these animals, although hardly anybody ever comes into contact with them. Until now, there's been debate about whether this aversion is innate or learned. Scientists at the Max Planck Institute for Human Cognitive and Brain Sciences in Leipzig and at Uppsala University have recently discovered that it is hereditary. Babies as young as six months old feel stressed when seeing these creatures long before they could have learned this reaction. Now, this is int- I thought this was already kind of settled. Like I've talked on my own show, Sovereign Tech, I've talked about this many times, mm-hmm. uh, many times that and, and this gets into something I, I buy pretty heavily into, which is biological universals like empathy and things like this. Mm-hmm. You know, there's fears that are, you know, unreal because there's there's fears that <laughs> like you make up in your mind. Right. And it's the future and it's not actually going to happen. Mm-hmm. But then I, I really think there are fears that are absolutely biologically evolutionarily imprinted um, and snakes and spiders are a couple of those. And it makes I mean, right from the get go. So, yeah. The, the the mechanism of this, people are saying, I, I bet there are people listening saying, well, how could that possibly be an instinctual thing? I'll tell you how it has to do with the motion. Yes, you because because your eyes are very good at picking up patterns. One of the first things babies learn to see is like contrast between light and dark. And so when your brain sees when your eyeballs see a shadow or, you know, an object that's moving with sort of a sidewinding motion like a snake would move or that's kind of creeping and crawling like an insect would move especially a spider, Mm -hmm. um, it actually triggers those pattern recognition things in your brain. You know, your eyes see it and then it goes onto your brain. And there's like a direct line from the visual cortex, from that part of the visual cortex that picks up those patterns to the amygdala, which is the fear center of the brain. Yeah. So that's how I always look. You're right, Brian. I've heard this before. And I always learned that it was about the pattern recognition of the movement of those types of creatures. And so like when when a human sees a snake, it's pretty much universal. If it's moving with that sidewinding pattern or if something looks like it's moving with that pattern, you immediately feel a little like eek, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, even even without it being something like, say, biologically imprinted, um, I could really imagine like snakes move so differently from the bulk of the animals that 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 a human being encounters and certainly far differently from what any human the way that a human moves mm-hmm. uh and and spiders i could see kind of being in a, in a similar vein uh to that that yeah it would just creep you out it's like wait a minute that's not normal <laughs> like, well, like what's going on here this isn't right yeah uh and so yeah i i can really really imagine that i mean because it is such a strange pattern that you know to, to ever like see or recognize um, so so this is really interesting because, like I was saying, I always learned that it was about the motion. But apparently this study that was done on six-month-old babies, they showed the babies pictures. They didn't show them moving pictures mm-hmm. or videos. They actually just showed them pictures. And what they did, which this is a really nice control. This actually, like, basically proves it beyond a shadow of a doubt, right? Because it's not, the, it's the motion is not required. Yeah, they, they can somehow recognize the creature, and even if it's not moving. So they showed them pictures of spiders, and then they showed them pictures of flowers that were the same size and color as wow. the spider. And, you know, a, a flower and a spider could look kind of similar, but, you know, obviously a spider has eight legs and a flower is, um, you know, it has a kind of a similar symmetry and it may have eight or more petals or less, um, but it doesn't look exactly like a spider. And then with snakes, the control was actually fish. 
it was a fish of the same size <laughs> and the same color. <laughs> so if they showed him like a gold snake, a picture of a gold snake, they also showed a picture of like a gold fish. And then they show- had like different kinds of fish. And um, the babies got scared as measured by an increase in the size of their pupils um, when they saw the snakes and the spiders, but not the fish. And also they show, I guess they tried to show the babies pictures of like bears and other and like rhinos and like other animals that you would think are dangerous. Right. But they didn't have the same fear response to those creatures. That is absolutely fascinating. I mean, mm-hmm. it, but again, I, I did think this was already settled, but still, you know, regardless, this, I mean, this is wild. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's funny. I remember. Do we have time for a little story? Yeah. OK, so I remember. When uh, I was younger and it was in church Um, and this guy told a children's story, which is, you know, during the the church service, there'd be a point where they'd have a story just for the kids, for the little ones. And he told it. It was the craziest is the dumbest story. Even if you're a Christian, you're just like, no, that that's horseshit. But it's funny. So the story he was telling was about how this kid was, 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 you know, on the farm or whatever. And then he saw this snake and it, you know, really bothered him and everything. And he was, he was terrified and all that. And the moral of the story that the guy told is like, it's because humans know that, that the snake is what tempted us, you know, and that the snake is Satan and everything. Right. Oh, actually, no, it's well, Max Planck says it's because we've lived with snakes and spiders for like 40 million years. (laughs) Right. But it's interesting. Like now, I mean, even, even from a, from a religious from a christian uh, uh you know theological standpoint that guy's that guy's story was the dumbest thing in the world in fact people chastised him like other churchgoers chastised him after the fact but you know <laughs> like after a fashion he was kind of right <laughs> like, I, it wasn't i mean satan doesn't exist you know and all that's crap but uh, well there's no story are there any spiders mentioned in the bible as our resident bible expert brian uh, not that I can think of. Okay. I mean, nothing that like stands out. Right. Okay. Well, that's very interesting. Um, it, it appears that those particular cre- creepy crawlies have been around for a long time. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm I'm really creeped out by anything that like I'm creeped out by worms. I'm creeped nah. out by parasites. I'm creeped out by bugs that are like soft bodied. Hard bodied bugs don't really bother me. And honestly, spiders don't really bother me very much. Mm-hmm. I think I've learned depends to get over the, the fear. Yeah, it, it depends on the spider. Yeah. That, to be fair, that's true. <laughs> yeah, you start seeing some wild colors on those things. And yeah, I mean, same here. Like snakes, you know, unless I know, unless like there's red, you know, red rings or, you know, some kind of. Uh, something on them that that really says hey no this is dangerous like i mean i'll pick up snakes all day long like because i you know i grew up in a, in new york and there's garter snakes and everything yeah but, and i mean you are a reptilian so they're kind of uh, like your brothers yeah exactly yeah. anyway speaking of slithering through your day um <laughs> teens are sleep deprived and screens are why studies study suggests this is from um they are why <laughs> well One study says, but we're going to take a closer look at this because I'm skeptical. So this is from the American Council on Science and Health. And they're talking about a new study that said that basically as soon as teenagers get a smartphone, their sleep begins to shorten. Like they sleep for less time. Teenagers are known to need like eight to ten hours of sleep. They're known to need like basically more sleep than adults. Actually, though, I hear that's, that's kind of a myth. Like children maybe need more sleep and they do sleep more but it basically it doesn't mean that adults need less sleep or that older adults need less sleep Ah. like older adults tend to sleep six or seven hours especially when they get like elderly 
But it's actually like they just can't sleep very well. It's not that they need less sleep. Okay. They just tend to have more problems with sleep. But anyway, back to the teenagers. Um, when smartphone use became widespread in 2000, around 2009, they say, there was a 17% increase in students reporting sleeping less than seven hours a night, which sleep experts say is insufficient. The research team used data from two long-running government-funded studies, one called Monitoring the Future, another called the Youth Risk Behavior Surveillance System. That doesn't sound Orwellian at all. (laughs) What the hell? That about, quote, 40% of adolescents in 2015 slept for less than seven hours a night, which is 58% more than in 1991 and 17% more than in 2009. I am terrified by the surveillance system, but please continue. Yeah, I know. I'm a little bit distracted on this. It says, those who spent five hours daily on their devices had a 50% greater chance of not getting enough sleep that other teenagers got who were online for just one hour a day. So, um, you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't really dispute that screens pe- keep people awake at night. Sure. What I would dispute is the fact that this article does not even mention the other factor in how in people's length of sleep, which is what time they have to get up in the morning. <laughs> and yeah. teenagers have to get up to go to school. And school starts at the ass crack of dawn. If you went to a public school, you know this. You probably have so many memories of just waking up, dragging yourself out of bed going, why, God, why, as you ate a bagel and tried to catch <laughs> the bus or something and your parents screamed at you, you're going to be late. You know, it's everybody has those memories because it's so hard to get up. Teenagers are not meant to get up that early to be at class at 730, you know, and learning stuff. They're meant to be sleeping in bed at that time of day. And it's just so unnatural to start school that early. But we do it because or we uh, they (laughs) do it because I don't know, because it's convenient for the parents or because it's an industrialized society or because of the buses. I don't even really know why they do it or what the justification is. But for years, people have been saying, no, this is wrong. Teenagers need to sleep late. They can't be getting up so early. They can't get up so early. So, I mean, I think if it was possible for teens to sleep a little bit later, they might be getting more sleep. I won't deny that screens, you know, smartphones, computers, yeah, that stuff probably does keep people awake. Sure. But I'm just saying, I mean, I'm you and I, Brian, grew up in that sort of that in-between generation where we you know, spent our childhood without the internet and our teenagehood. Yes. And later with the, with the internet. And, you know, I remember staying up on my computer in high school, like, chatting on AOL instant messenger and things like that. <laughs> but I mean, I could always I I always tried to get to bed like pretty early just so I wasn't like it wasn't painful the next day. Yeah. So I think it was possible back then. But I will say like even as an adult, I do struggle with like looking at screens at night. I try to use the those red light filters that make it less uh bright and glaring. Yeah, so which... hopefully the blue light doesn't make my brain think it's daytime and try to keep me up, but sometimes it is a struggle cuz we just do have so many devices around us and it's almost like it's almost like a form of light pollution or something. Yeah, and most operating systems now and devices include like those red light filters. Yeah, the Windows 10 software. creators update just got it, didn't it? Yeah, Android does it, iOS does it. I mean, they they all kind of do it even though there's been great software in the past that has allowed for it as well, but you know, technology's finally catching up because they're aware that this is this is kind of a problem. But yeah, I don't think it's the screens. I think that it has far more to do, I mean, adults have a hard enough time with dealing with a sedent, sedentary lifestyle. Um, that, you know, with, with 
teenagers. I mean, I think they need all the more activity, Mm -hmm. you know, but school just drains them to no end that they, they stay even more sedentary. Like, and they just want to sit down and chill out in front of the screen because of the stress. Oh, it's a metabolic nightmare. Yeah. Yeah. It's you're right. It's a cycle that it's really hard to break out. Right. Either the educational stress or the emotional stress of having to like deal with this, this, you know, veritable prison system, uh, social prison system uh, that, yeah, I mean, it, it messes with them. And so they're going to spend a ton of time on screens and they're going to try and maximize the amount of time where they don't have to deal with school bullshit. Yeah. And parents too, sometimes. Oh, Oh, the poor teens. Well, we have empathy for you, teens. It gets better. Hang in there. If you need to just disengage with your phone, that's okay. Uh, Do it, but try to get some sleep because it's bad for you to not sleep. All right, Brian, I got one more. You think we can squeeze it in here? Let's squeeze it. I think we can. Okay. China invents rice that can grow in salt water. What? Now, the, the the headline is totally misleading. This is from like, you know, a, just a pop website that's not scientific. But um, it, so it's not an invention. It was actually a discovery, as you find out if you read the article. But yeah, basically some scientists in China have discovered a strain of rice that is tolerant to growing in more salt water, like in brackish water, basically. Okay. So they say they, they basically they what they had to do was take seawater from the Yellow Sea, dilute it, and pump it into the rice paddies. And then they found this strain of rice that grows in the salt water. And they this could be a real advantage because not only does the salt, the seawater contain minerals like calcium and iodine and other stuff, um, like all kinds of minerals that are just not found on land, mm-hmm. but it also could be like a pest repellent, you know, a pest deterrent. The salt water could keep pests okay. at bay, essentially. Um, and this could be, you know, like a great yield. And I guess there were, I guess there were strains of rice that could grow in salt water before, but the yield from this one is much, much higher. And so right now, it still costs more than regular rice, but obviously that cost is going to go down to the point where it's commercially viable over time as they refine the process and get it better and, you know, that all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, even even, un- even until that day, <laughs> like the price of rice, people don't realize just how massive of an economic factor uh, that is. I mean, rice it, makes the world go round to a large extent in a very real yeah. sense, especially with the economic, you know, prowess of much of or power of uh, much of Southeast Asia. And I mean, this is this is a big deal. Now, I guess kind of my question is, is there the chance that much like kelp and some other, you know, uh, uh, foods in the sea, can this collect all of that that salt, salty sea goodness? <laughs> what do you mean? Collect it? Well, you know, I mean, like, well, it's soak in like a lot of that. I mean, because there's a lot of good shit in the sea, you know, for right. Humans. Yeah, that's what I was saying at the beginning. Yeah. Like it, it is it is actually higher in calcium and right. other minerals that are found in seawater. So that's a good thing. I mean, usually so this the, would be healthier rice. Yeah. And also, supposedly it has like a favorable, you know, like it, it has a good texture and flavor. It's like a shorter grain kind of rice. Now, there's this other rice that I guess was developed in India. That's like a red kind of rice that will grow in salt water, too. But this is like a, a, a new one. This is a, a totally separate strain of rice. And I guess probably Chinese consumers would want more of like a like a shorter grain white rice instead of a red rice. Mm mm-hmm. um, so, yeah, there you go. I mean, I think that's pretty cool. Uh, it's not GMO. It's like 
you know, it, it was just discovered. It was like a naturally occurring strain, I guess. That That is remarkable. And, and interesting, kind of, you know, speaking of earlier when I mentioned that, you know, there's cultures that grew up with rice and mm-hmm. cultures that that, are, that that arose with rice and ones that arose with, uh, that arose. with wheat. Arose, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Came arose into fruition. is the Spanish word for uh, rice. Yeah. Is it really? Yeah. I had no idea. Arroz. <laughs> wow, okay. Uh, Arroz I mean, con pollo. Yeah. <laughs> Haven't you ever heard of that? Chicken no. and rice? Wow. Well, I mean, I think this is fascinating. I'll tell you what, what it could really lead to. Sea colonies. Ooh, and I, am I game like where for you're that. going with this. I am Ooh, game for that. Tell me more about the sea colonies with rice. Well, um, actually, you don't have time to tell me more, but never fear. The sex segment is coming up, and Ooh. you're going to like this, so stick around. This is Sex and Science Hour. Stay tuned. Hello, everybody. This is Stephanie Murphy, audiobook narrator extraordinaire. I'll say. I would like to draw your attention to an audiobook that I narrated recently that this audience might love. It's called The Good Vibrations Guide to Sex. Now, this is a sex manual, and it is like a 23-hour audiobook all about sex. So if you want to hear me talk about sex for nearly an entire day, you should get your hands on this book, The Good Vibrations Guide to Sex. The thing I like about this book that's a little bit unique and different was that it was it originally came out in the early 2000s. And so it's got some kind of quaint chapters about internet sex and cyber sex that are a little bit dated, but they're really cool. So so Good Vibrations Guide to Sex by Ann Siemens and Kathy Winks. Yes, that is really the author's name. Now back to the show. Edited by Brian Sovereign. Thank you. <laughs> Brian worked on that project with me. Now, what what do you think? Did you want to give a little review of the Good Vibrations Guide to Sex? Oh, man. Uh, I mean, there's just so much to take away from it. Like, every chapter is on a different subject. And if anything, reading it will, and I know this might sound cliche, but it will just, it will broaden your mind to all the aspects of sex, which we bring up a lot on the show, saying, look, guess what? Sex is more than PIV. Guess what? Sex, there's some work involved. There's some learning involved. And this is a a tremendous beginner guide. Yeah, exactly. It has chapters on like fantasy. It's got chapters on dirty talking. It's got chapters. My favorites. (laughs) It's got chapters on all the sex acts that you might imagine as well. But the good news is that it doesn't treat like penetrative heterosexual sex as the the end-all be-all or like the most important kind of sex act. It goes through all different types of sex, some of which don't even involve penetration. And it goes through like mental sex, like, you know, fantasy and cyber sex and all kinds of stuff like that. It even has a chapter about censorship, which I thought like sexual censorship that the American government went on in a very prudish way in the 1990s and 80s, where they were going after all these porn um, consumers, which is a great, fascinating historical chapter. Not porn consumers, porn producers. Sorry. Yes. Um, so it, really interesting book. I loved it. Um, I, you know, I don't know if it's going <laughs> to, I, I don't know if it's going to be the most popular audiobook I've ever done, but I took it on because I thought it was a great, interesting subject. I thought the listeners would like it. And I thought it was a fun project that Brian and I could work on together. And we did have fun. Oh, I recommend it all the way. <laughs> cool. All right. Now let's get into the sex segment. So speaking of heterosexual uh, intercourse. <laughs> really? FDA backs move to make bespoke condoms because the average size of 6.69 inches is too big for most American men. 
Wait, what's the average size? 6.69 inches. Wow, okay. Of a condom, the average size of an erect dick is 5.57 inches, about yeah. an inch shorter than the standard condom size. Experts believe, says the Daily Mail, that this is one of the main reasons why just a third of single American men use a condom during sex. Now the FDA has made a policy change that will allow companies to make smaller condoms. So I didn't know about this, but apparently the FDA... A condom is like an FDA-approved device, mm-hmm. and the FDA regulates the size of the condoms based on the average penis size or something like that. Which is interesting, because I don't think most condoms are made in the USA. Uh, yes, but if they want to be sold in the USA, they have to be right, approved they have to, by the FDA, Yeah, I guess. of course, of course. You know, I'll tell you, I, I've, I've got a little theory here. As to why this may be, unless do you have more you want to read on it? Well, yeah, just a little bit of more of explanation. It. It's uh, so the Daily Mail says um, recent CDC figures on condom use revealed that just a third of single men use them, and one of the most common reasons for non-users is that they slip off. So people are like, "Well, it falls off anyway." What's the point? <laughs> right. right, right. A study by Indiana user, University on almost 2,000 men revealed the average length of a penis is erect is 5.57 inches, which is about an inch shorter than the standard condom size. Now the Food and Drug Administration, which regulates health industry standards, has conceded that there is a need for smaller condoms in a desperate bid to lower the rates of sexually transmitted diseases and unwanted pregnancies. Well, I mean... Smaller condoms might help, but like really a lot of it's in the sex education, which oh, yeah. is dismal in America. Yeah. And people don't see the point of condoms because they're like, oh, why would I do this? This sucks. I don't, they don't really understand like why they should use one, I think. Right. A lot of people don't. Anyway. Um, and yeah, I I mean, like, I don't know about you, Brian. You, you uh, I think in your, in your days where you would have been wearing condoms, you had no problem wearing them, right? No, I, uh, I'll just say that, um, I have to buy, uh, actually the, I have the opposite problem. Oh, okay. They don't fit you because they're yep. too, the condoms too small. Yeah. I have yep. to buy those ones in the golden black box, if you know what I mean. Gotcha. Yeah. But, but I mean, like, did you have a problem with condoms on principle? Did you dislike them? Did you wear them? I mean, I think everybody kind of hates them, but I would wear them. I mean, and because a lot of, especially when I was, I mean, so now I have a vasectomy. That's not going to protect me from diseases, of course. Mm -hmm. Uh, But at the time when I was wearing them often, uh, it was because like I'd be having sex with people I barely knew. Right. You know, and so it's just, it's just what you did. Yeah. I mean, and it just made sense. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. I mean, I've definitely encountered that attitude from men a lot. Like, oh, oh, I'm not going to wear a condom. And that's like the least attractive thing to me <laughs> like yeah I'll just say all right well bye <laughs> I, I mean you know i'm kind of curious uh if they're gonna like be branded in a specific way <laughs> you know because like the larger ones you know you have the brand name magnum you know and they come in the gold uh yeah they come in the gold Many wrapper think they're magnum uh, yeah if but you are magnum <laughs> if you are magnum um well anyway we'll just we'll leave that at that but <laughs> so actually they say that the fda standards it wasn't like all condoms have to be 6.7 inches long. Uh-huh. There was a there was a range. It said condoms have to had to be before this rule change. They had to be between 6.7 and 8.3 inches long and around 4.1 inches in width. Okay. I guess that must be the diameter, right? Yeah, Pi yeah. r squared there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so but I wonder if they're going to have like brand them something smaller cuz I, I mean I'll admit whenever, you know, 
I mean, the branding has gotten to the point. Yeah. When you're pulling out the gold wrapper, you know, sometimes eyes get a little wide. <laughs> no, I'm serious. I'm just, I, look, I'm not saying it's okay or right or, or that it's hot or anything like that. That's not what I'm saying. I think you're saying it's hot. <laughs> I think no, you no, like it. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm not saying it should be hot to the woman is what I'm saying. What I'm saying, what I'm saying is pretty much that. Well, you know, there, there's there's an expectation that comes with that. And like, I just kind of wonder if like the smaller ones are going to be in a bronze wrapper, you know, and, oh and, and then suddenly people are going to be like, uh, because here's my theory around some of this. OK, uh, it's interesting that in Britain, the BBC regularly posts a story and you can look this up. Go to go to DuckDuckGo or Google or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, they will regularly post a story about how men in India on average have the smallest penises. Mm hmm. Now, I think that that's a total, like, why the fuck would you report that? You know, like, that is so insensitive, okay? Uh, I think they do it on purpose because they're still pissed, you know, they, as in the royal they of Britain, is still pissed off about what happened in India. (laughs) That they kicked him out? (laughs) Right. And so, well, I have some theories as to maybe why these things couldn't be sold in Western countries. You know, smaller ones. Tell me the theories. Well, the theory is, is that you don't want the Indians to find out that, oh, actually, you white boys have small dicks, too. <laughs> That's a very interesting theory. I like that, Brian. There it is. I like that. Um, well, you know, the real point of that story is that you want the condom to fit because yes. if it doesn't fit, you're going to be, they're going to be less, less likely to wear it. And it might be unsafe because it could fall off or it could be too tight and break and blah, blah, blah. So um, I guess it's. I mean, I would love, I think it it should be possible now to get like custom condoms, you know, like you should be able to, you should be able to stick your dick in a plaster mold and make a impression of it just like you would with like a retainer for braces, uh-huh. Invisalign for dicks. <laughs> You'd be able to stick your dick in a plaster mold and send it to a condom company and they literally make a bunch of condoms to just fit right over your specific penis. Yeah, no, I, I don't you I, think like the only reason we can't do that is probably because of the FDA, <laughs> I'm guessing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, but, it, you know, if, if governments weren't so anti-sex, I mean, then then, hey, you know, maybe that would be a thing. Yeah. I like your British Indian condom theory there. That's really interesting. That's what I got. <laughs> OK, sleep sex. Is it a thing? Asks one of our listeners. Last night, my partner woke me up to have sex. Today, he claims that he doesn't remember doing that. He thought I woke him up. Wow. Okay. <laughs> okay. So she remembers being woken up in the middle. This is a woman. Yeah. She remembers being woken up in the middle of the night by her partner. Yep. He wanted to have sex. She said, okay, sure. They had sex. Then in the morning, he claimed, oh, no, no, you woke me up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yes, sleep sex is a thing. Is this like sleepwalking? I think that's what she's asking. Yeah. Is it okay. is it like a sleepwalking thing? And yes, it actually is a thing. It's like there's some medical diagnosis for it. I don't know the name of it off the top of my head, but oh, wow. one of our other listeners commented that too, that, that this is like an actual medical thing, a phenomenon that's described and it has a, a Latin name and all that kind of stuff. That's amazing. Um, people do all kinds of stuff in their in their sleep. Like they can, people have been known to like start cars in their sleep and not remember a thing. Um, people sleep eat. In fact- I have had a period in my life where I did the sleep eating thing. Wow. Yeah. I would wake up and I'd find, I I had this, when I was in college, 
I had a box of protein bars under my bed, and I was trying to eat this vegetarian diet because I was like trying to go vegetarian because yeah, yeah. healthy. Um, and I was probably protein starved. And I would I would get up in the middle of the night and I would eat like a couple of protein bars, and I'd find the wrappers in the morning. Wow. And then I would vaguely remember like, oh, yeah, I did eat that. And I would taste it like in my mouth. It was really weird. It's kind of scary just how much the body can do on autopilot. Yeah, it's crazy. I know. Uh, because Especially if it's a really unmet need. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's a little scary. Now, I mean, sleep sex, the concept I don't think is too scary. Like when, when you first read that to me, I'm just thinking, oh, well, he was probably he probably was dreaming you know, having a yeah. little bit of a wet dream and, and he dreamt that she woke him up and then he just, <laughs> you know, woke up and continued the, the, the dream, but in real life. Yeah, definitely. Know. Now, I mean, when it's a, when it's a married couple or a, you know, partners that you're sleeping with your partner who you would, you would want to have sex with in most circumstances anyway, it's all well and good yeah. for the most part, but I can see how that would get really uh, weird with consent sometimes because it could. you know someone could initiate sex in their sleep with somebody that they wouldn't normally want to initiate sex with or someone could have sex with somebody in their sleep that they wouldn't normally want to have sex with or someone could have sex initiated on them uh by a sleeping person and they don't consent but the sleeping person doesn't take no for an answer or, or is gets a little weird with it so you know i can see a lot of weird situations that could you know get that could get non-consensual very fast. Sure. Uh, I, I mean, don't think that's what the question asker is talking about no. at all, but I think it's worth mentioning that, that that could be a thing. So obviously, you know, I think that's why some, maybe that's why some people are just, you know, it. if you sleep in proximity to somebody that you don't want, wouldn't want to ever have sex with, uh-huh. you know, there's just that remote possibility of them being nearby, you know, that they might do something non-consensual. So you don't want to sleep in the same room as somebody that you, you know. Sure. Yeah, right. No, I mean, but now if it is somebody that you want to sleep with, I mean, and this is something I've made clear with, you know, pretty much any relationship I've ever been in and that I've, I've usually talked about, uh, which is if, you know, like, like it's pretty hot if somebody wakes up in the middle of the night and like they, they, using a conventional phrase, they can't control themselves. And like, they, they really want to have sex and like, they're really turned on. Maybe they're having a hot dream or something like that. Like I've always made it very clear. Hey, if in the middle of the night, you know, you need some action, I'm not exactly awake, but I've got a shooting offer. You go right ahead and you have a great time, you know, and I'm sure I'll wake up in a minute and, and then we'll continue the great time. So yeah. Cause consent can be a problem, you know, mm-hmm. uh, but I, not yeah, that I, mean, I was considering sleep sex, but you know, I'd like to put that right out in front. Hey, no, if you need something and I, and plenty of women have, you know, said the same where, where they're like, you know, wow, if you just need in the middle of the night, go for it, you know? Yeah. I mean, that's your preference and their preference, exactly. but it's, it, it's, it would not be everyone's preference. No, no, no. So it's right, really important right. to say that. Um, That's why I say get that out in the open if you're in a relationship. Right. Okay. Anyway, so some people might think it's hot. Some people might not want it. It's very creepy. Talk, your mileage may vary. Talk yes. to the person you're sleeping with about this today. Very important thing. Okay. Preemptive apology is our next question. There's a dude who's a YouTube star who posted a lengthy letter on Twitter yesterday, admitting to being a douchebag and manipulating women into sending them fo- sending him photos of themselves. He doesn't say nude images, although it can be inferred. 
Now it's come out that according to a post I saw in a wrestling group I'm in, one of the women has posted a scathing account of her encounter, making many wonder if the apology was more preemptive damage control than noble as originally thought. What are your thoughts on douchebags admitting to being douchebags before being outed as douchebags? <laughs> so do you get what happened, Brian? This this is basically, there's a celebrity or minor celebrity, famous uh-huh. guy, who came out and posted an apology, a preemptive apology before anybody accused him of anything, saying that he was a jerk and he manipulated women into sending him nude pictures of themselves. And he's very, very sorry and he can't believe he did this. After the After that... A woman came out and accused him of doing something similar, like sexually assaulting or, or something. And now the person who observed all this is wondering, well, was that just preemptive damage control or was he really being sincere with his apology? It seems like it was just preempting, preempting this woman's accusation. Yeah, no, I, I get it. Uh, so this is something that this is this is a part of marketing of PR, OK, public relations in this case. Uh what will often happen, and believe me, this will happen, where people will, like even journalists and some others, uh, will come out with like these scathing stories or something like this, uh, you know, about varying of, of varying situations, say like in Hollywood or something like that. And then you'll find out later that they were involved in it, too. The journalist who published the right. article. Yeah. Right. Put the blame I, on somebody else. Oh, yeah, yeah. Look over here at him. He's a jerk. He did this. Don't look at me. I did the same thing. No, it, right. But it, but it, yeah, but it goes deeper. And that is, is that if you're the one doing the exposing, you can be seen uh, or like you, you, you get this kind of first mover advantage where you, you get forgiven because, oh, but he revealed it all. He showed the dark side. So. He's come to the light. Right. Why did none of these other people reveal it sooner? Yeah. Right. I mean, and this happens not just with sex. This happens with all kinds of things. This happens with land deals. Uh, I mean, I mean, this, this happens with all <laughs> yeah. kinds of shit where somebody will come out in front and, and it, they do that to make it seem like they're the good guy because they finally had the crisis of conscience to say something about it. But it's all marketing. It's all public relations. They really don't feel bad about it. Fuck it. No, they, they are just being the first one. That way they don't get the brunt of it Mm. and that's what it's really about and i doubt they feel bad about anything yeah yeah so i mean i guess look scrutinize exposers but yeah i mean if somebody did something reprehensible they did regardless and maybe think about your own biases of you know how you feel about somebody who comes out proactively and says oh i did this terrible thing are they really just trying to save face don't feel too bad for them right (laughs) yeah just just remember that whatever you you know, when when something's on social media or whatever, it's marketing. Especially it's like YouTube fake. where it's produced. It's it's marketing. All the shit. Well, speaking of marketing, we got our after show coming up, but we hope you stick around. But if you're leaving us now, thanks so much for tuning in to Sex and Science Hour. We'll be back at you next Friday, sexandsciencehour.com. Tell a friend, tell two friends, and stick around for the after you show just if you're heard into that. Sex and Science More Hour. coming up. Game over. Play again next week.
welcome back to Sex and Science Hour. This is the after show where we talk about stuff about sexandsciencehour.com. And what is that? Well, glad you asked. <laughs> Stuff.sexandsciencehour.com is where you can hear, <laughs> where you can see all of the items that were discussed on our after show and where you can go to purchase them for yourself if you hear about something you like. And it gives us a handy dandy little list of things that people bought. And we can't see who bought it, but we can see what was bought. So that means we get content for our after show. We get to talk about it. We get to tell more people about it. And they can go to the same link and, sh- link and share the love if they want to get one for themselves. So it's like this little, it's like a circle of trust here on stuff.sexandsciencehour.com. <laughs> something like that. I don't know. I just kind of made that up, but it seems to fit. So I'm going to go with it. <laughs> so what did people buy on stuff.sexandsciencehour.com this week? Well, the first thing I saw when I logged in, believe it or not, Brian, was some Soylent. <laughs> now, we have a cereal Soylent drinker on our stuff.sexandsciencehour.com yeah. link. <laughs> Somebody really likes Soylent. They get packs of it. This person got like a crate of 12 Soylent bottles. They must drink it every morning. Now, you love the idea of being able to just do a, like meal replacement basically, right? Yeah, I'm totally game for that. Like, I wish something really healthy existed where I could just drink it and then move on, you know? Yeah. I mean, I love a good, you know, the home-cooked meal thing that takes time and all that and all the the colors and different textures and everything. Like, I can appreciate that, too. But most days, you know, to to be me, do me, like, I, I would... I would love it if I could just drink something and move on. You're too on. busy to eat. You need like a supplement. Yeah. Nobody's got time for that. Now, <laughs> now I just read something. I read a study that said that protein meal replacement shakes work really well for, for weight loss. Well, I kind of do that. Mm-hmm. Like my protein shakes that I make. In fact, I've, we talked about this. Yeah, we did. Or, or you and I have talked about what's, this. What's one of the items that's in your protein shake? <sighs> Well, I mean, there's a ton of protein for one, obviously, uh, but then I put in some uh, organic superfoods that that's oh, mixed in. Oh, from Muscle Farm, right? Yeah, there's creatine. Um, there's oh man, peanut butter. No, still... no, I don't put peanut butter in. Really? Anymore. Yeah. I'm oh trying my god, to I thought that, that was like the main ingredient. No, I thought yeah, the no. peanut butter was like the main attraction. You can get peanut butter flavored protein Beans, anyway, uh, but yeah, MCT oil. Uh, there's also. Um, uh, what is it? The bee pollen granules. I mean, I put so much, one of these things, like if you bought it in a store, it would probably cost $20. I'm not <laughs> saying that's what it costs me to make it. In mm-hmm. fact, it doesn't, but I'm saying that's what it would read. Yeah. That's what it would retail for. It's like $20 a pop. Well, uh, shit, you should bottle that shit and sell it. You should well, start making your shakes. I, I know, but that, that's a lot. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's really, it, it's crazy. So anyway, uh, so I kind of do that already where that's like my main course of the meal. Um, and at least on days when I do work out, which is pretty much seven days a week. But, mm. uh, yeah. Cause you're man, 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 man. <laughs> Your words, you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm not. Magnum condoms working out with shakes. Hey, hey this is serious. You asked, you brought it up. <laughs> All right. The other items were uh, the Moco case for the all-new Amazon Fire HD 10 tablet. This is one of those, it looks like an iPad case. It's like one of those triangle things where you can stand it up. It's just like a, you know, a case for tablet. Not 16 nice. bucks. Yeah, that's nice. Right-wing collectivism, the other threat to liberty. Is that like the other white meat? <laughs> that's what i thought of this when I, this is i've read this by jeffrey tucker this is a fine book yeah i i, I, have, I it looks really good actually i'd like to read it yeah i mean and it, and it really highlights you know look uh the the dangers 
of, you know, within the political spectrum come from all sides. Not just, I mean, because too many people, this is a libertarian book, too many people, too many libertarians just look at the left and they're they're not worried about the right and they're just yeah i think that's a bias i think that's really silly yeah yeah and it's really sad and so this book does a a pretty good job of saying no guess what right wing has is is just as dangerous it's got these little the cover is great it's got the this striped background almost like jail bars and then it's got the shadow of a swastika with some folks like falling down into the swastika like ah very appropriate cover sure um let me read the description the rise of the so-called alt-right is the most unexpected ideological development of our time most people of our current generation lack a sense of the historical sweep of the intellectual side of alt of the right-wing collectivist position jeffrey tucker in this collection written between 2015 and 2017 argues that this movement represents the revival of a tradition of interwar collectivist thought that might at first seem like a hybrid but was distinctly mainstream between the two world wars It is anti-communist, but not for the reasons that were conventional during the Cold War. That is because communism opposed freedom in the liberal tradition. Right collectivism also opposes traditional liberalism. It opposes free trade, freedom of association, free migration, and capitalism understood as a laissez-faire free market. It rallies around nation and state as the organizing principles of the social order and trends in the direction of favoring one-man rule, but positions itself as opposed to leftism traditionally understood." And there's a lot more. But yeah, I I hope that's enough to get you interested because this does look like a great book. You liked it, Brian, right? Yes. Yeah, I enjoyed the book. Super Mario Odyssey for the Nintendo Switch. The game. Oh, my gosh. This looks really cool. This is supposedly like the highest rated game in history. Yeah, people say it's the best Mario game ever. Yeah, I mean, wow. You know, I fifty nine eighty eight prime. So get on that shit. Yeah, I don't have a Nintendo Switch yet. Maybe I need to put that in my wish list. But mm. I don't have. I have a three DS. I don't have a Switch. I skipped the Wii U. Uh, I'm totally. I think the Switch is a brilliant idea. I'm all for it. I definitely want to rock this game out along with the uh, new Legend of Zelda: Breath of the Wild, and they have Metroid Prime Four coming out for the Switch as well. I mean, it, it's amazing. Nintendo is just look. You can't stop them. You know. Uh, that, that that's really that's really it i mean they do some ugly shit no doubt about it as far as um how they treat fans and some things that get done on the internet but i mean they are the tech company to beat at any and all times right on well uh somebody's getting ready to game on their pc i guess because they got a dell pcie low profile graphics card nice 775 that's pretty cheap service dog collar that's useful oh my gosh For humans so useful no oh for an actual dog, it's a collar that says service dog. So it just lets people know, hey, this is a service dog. Don't try to pet my doggo and tell him he's a good boy because yeah. he's working. He's very busy right now. That's right. <laughs> or she. Fourteen ninety five. Yeah, I think that's a great investment. Uh, and a service dog leash to go with it. Seventeen ninety five. And it's just the same thing, but it's a leash that says service dog. Very cool. I love that. Um, <laughs> this is cute. Wino silicone wine charms by True. <laughs> so these are little charms that go around the stem of a wine glass. <laughs> and you can stack them up to show whose glass it is. 
Okay. So like you, you know, you might have a glass of wine, you put it down on a table and then you're like, oh, fuck, was that mine or is that somebody else's? I don't want to drink somebody else's glass. Ew, that's right. gross. And it might have roofies in it. So, <laughs> so I'm going to put a little bobble around the stem of my glass so I know it's mine. And uh, yeah, it comes in a 12 pack of different colors. And they also have like little, um, they have like little, uh, like uh, almost looks like a slinky, like a little spiral that can wind around the stem as well. They have paws off, which are little animals. They have citrus, which is like, you know, orange, lemon, lime that you can put on <laughs> that uh, that distinguishes the wine glass. So I think that's a clever idea if you're going to a party where everybody's drinking wine or drinking the same thing. Sure. Leviton 42-inch series media flush mount cover. I have no, absolutely no clue what this does, but thank <laughs> you for buying it through stuff.sexandsciencehour.com. Um, <laughs> oh, I think it's a mount to um, to hang up like a, like a computer screen or something like that. Oh, okay. That's cool. Um, and then, oh, that's it. <laughs> so thanks for shopping through stuff.sexandsciencehour.com. If you want to get any of the items you just heard about, you just go right on over to stuff.sexandsciencehour.com yourself and have at it. I like the service dog things. I think those that's my winning item. Um, I'm gonna, I don't know. Super Mario Odyssey. I mean, Yeah, Super Mario Odyssey was really cool. That's true. That was really cool. Um, I'm going to give an item of the week. I am. My item of, of the week is going to be ancient organics ghee. Now, I am allergic <laughs> to dairy. So I eat ghee, which is just the oil. It doesn't have the protein part. And this company makes awesome ghee from grass-fed butter. They, uh, you know, melt it down, refine it, just take the good stuff off. Mm -hmm. And uh, it is like liquid gold. It's really flavorful. has a great butter flavor. You wouldn't know it's not butter. I mean, it's great, except it doesn't, it's it's like clear, not cloudy. Like Fabio's holding it up for the commercial yeah, I can, thing. I can't, I can't believe, believe it's not, it's not butter, butter spray. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Except it's not a spray. You just like scoop it on and it's really good. I put it on like vegetables. I put it on, you know, like pretty much any kind of veggie. You can you can douse it in ghee and it's very good and good for you. So ancient organics ghee, really tasty. They have like a big jar of it and the side of the jar says like eat good fat or something. So I really like that. What about you, Brian? Do you have an item? that you'd like to talk about? Maybe that, that handy-dandy thing right in front yeah, of you. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I kind of have to pick. So I uh, I recently acquired a Asus ZenBook 3, and it's not the Pro model, which is fine. Um, and this thing is an absolute lifesaver. Uh, I, I, I love this. It has a Core i5 quad-core processor, and it has 8 gig of RAM. Um, it's a 12.5 inch screen, 1080p. Uh, it actually has like a hundred and it has a really wide view with viewing angle. Like, like I forget exactly what it is, but anyway, uh, it, it's all aluminum. I mean, this is, this is a, you know, a company that primarily deals in windows computers, mm -hmm. beating Apple in it's at its own game, small, uh, portable and powerful. I yeah. Would and beautiful. It like it is absolutely. In fact, when I had it at a, a conference recently, I mean, people just stared at it and they said <laughs> like, I mean, they're like, wow, that is a nice laptop. You nice. Know, you know? I mean, yeah. it, it, is, it is absolutely gorgeous. The one flaw, I'm just going to let people know the one flaw is that all it has kind of like the MacBook, not the MacBook pro, but just the MacBook. It only has one port or well okay it has a usb-c port it does have a one eighth jack on it as well but it just has the one uh, uh, uh data port which is uh, the usb-c mm. so for some people that's a deal breaker right on well cool um 
stuff.sexandsciencehour.com. Thank you so much for tuning into our show. We'll be back at you next week. And thanks to everybody who participates in the stuff.sexandsciencehour.com circle of trust because it is <laughs> awesome. Okay. See you next week, sexandsciencehour.com. And uh, we love our listeners. Have a great one.